0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Matt Report. This is the show where we talk to real WordPress entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs in general, all walks of life. Life's, to designers, developers, marketers, bloggers, podcasters, anyone who's making a living using WordPress or has touched WordPress to make a living before, we will interview them to get their side of the story. Help us with our own day-to-day operations of our business. Uh, MattReport.com, MattReport.com slash subscribe uh, if you want to join the newsletter to learn about all of these awesome shows. Today, I'm joined by Brent Weaver of YouGurus. Brent, how are you? Doing well. Thanks for coming on to the show. Uh, Give folks a two-minute elevator pitch of what you do and who you are.
1: Yeah, for sure. So. my name is Brent Weaver. I'm currently the CEO and co-founder of a website called YouGurus.com. Our whole premise is to help web professionals become more profitable. Um, my background, I actually uh, started in 1999, um, founded a company called Hot Press Web. That was our, our web and digital agency. Um, grew that for about, what, 13, 14 years, um, really successful company, kind of a uh, outgrew my desire to continue to run the service professional uh, business in the web agency and decided to sell that last year kind of um, stumbled upon a higher calling if you will to help uh, other web professionals to become more profitable so that's kinda where I'm at today Um, we are very close to launching our very first product for you gurus um, and um, just having a good time
0: awesome Uh, so 12-13 years running a business um, and you kind of say you outgrew the desire. Uh, let's talk about that a little bit. Was it just the client services relationship stuff that that got to you or was it just, hey, I, I need to move on to something else?
1: Um, you know, I mean, I, I think I, I always really enjoyed the client services business. Um, for us, uh, we kind of created our own problem, which was we, we actually created um, – an information product um, about four years ago and kind of got into that business. So we had really two sides to our business that we were running. Half of it was the client services business and half of it was actually uh, a product. And, um, And so we started getting pulled in two different directions. We had, you know, two completely different customer groups. We were working with small business customers, nonprofits, and then we were also working with web designers. And um, it just got to the point where we were kind of talking out of two sides of our mouth. We had very two very distinct different customer groups, and um, we just made a decision to run with the Web Pro customer group. And so, um, you know, in doing that, we decided to kind of sell off the web agency side Focus hundred percent of our energy on the web pro, um, and so it, it wasn't really getting tired of the client services business. it was just like we were ready to to focus more on on this side of the shop.
0: Mm-hmm. How did you stumble four years ago onto the informational product
1: yeah, so we um, you know we got uh, part of our, our start in um, you know I, I've built websites on pretty much every single platform out there, so we actually originally Built our own CMS. Um, I think that used to be pretty much the the trend. Every web designer would, you know, create their own way of allowing their clients to to manage their content. And then um, we went on this like decade long journey of like toying with other systems. So you know, open source platforms, proprietary platforms, and all that kind of stuff. And we actually had part of our success in. Um, launching an information product for uh, technology by Adobe called business catalyst. And so that, that was actually something that, that was like our first info product and it, it was pretty successful and um, it's still alive and well uh, for the website, but um, we've, um, you know, kind of opened that market up a little bit more. So we, we now focus more on the general web pro versus just the BC folks. Um, and, and that's allowed us to kind of, bring to the surface some of our experience with WordPress and some of the other technologies.
0: Yeah. Um, Back to the client services, a lot of folks, obviously my audience being primarily WordPress, um, you know, most most guys, gals starting out will say, you know what, I'm going to run with WordPress. I'm a WordPress developer or I'm a front end designer for WordPress. So I'm only going to use WordPress. Um, Did you uh, open up, Did you use multiple platforms because you just said here's the kind of client I want to go after and my client uses all these different platforms or did you just say I'm gonna be open to just capture as much business as I can?
1: Well I mean I think part of the benefit of having an agency of having multiple people working with you is you can kind of um, in some cases be a specialist in, in a certain technology but you can also kind of work with a lot of different things you know I think as an individual it's difficult to be an expert in five different systems but I think when you have an agency you kind of you can Absorb as much business as you want. Um, you know, you kind of have this cookie monster mentality of like <laughs> you need so much business to keep everything going. Um, and I think when you're a smaller shop, when you're a freelancer, when you have maybe you know, there's one or two of you, um, you know, I typically recommend that people focus in on an individual platform and a technology because it it becomes way too difficult to manage more than one um, piece of technology if if you're a small shop. So we we had the benefit of having the agency, having a team, um, and, and really our focus. Was was more on trying to get as many customers as we could and, and grow a really healthy agency.
0: Nice. nice. The um, the did did your team back then? Did you guys use a lot of WordPress? Did you get uh, involved with any WordPress stuff?
1: Um. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, you know, we've we've definitely launched a, a lot of sites on on the platform. Um, I think you know one of the things that I tried to keep my focus on though was more about like. we're in the growing customers business so like for our end clients you know I would spend very little time actually pitching them on whatever technology they were using and I think that was most the premise of my article on Speccy Boy was that too many people come into a sale and they start saying, you know, I'm a WordPress expert and you should hire me because I'm going to launch you this, you know, great website on this open source technology. And then all of a sudden they wake up and they're wondering why they're having a hard time getting 1500 or $2,000 for a project. Um, and so, you know, I try to bring that experience to the table that, you know, most of my agency and my selling experience was... Had very little to do with technology. I mean, my team had the focus of what's going to be best for this customer. Um, but in my case, I really try to spend more of my time helping to understand what part of my project was actually going to help a company grow um, versus which widget we were going to use to, to launch a certain project.
0: Yep, the um, the developers and designers out there who live and breathe WordPress are all cursing. <laughs> Uh, if, or, or if not, just shutting off the podcast right now. But, <laughs> but please continue to listen. Uh, this is good stuff. And this is actually how I connected with Brent when I read his Specky Boy uh, article about not saying WordPress. This is super, super important because, like you said, like if, when we go to WordCamps, we're all with our WordPress buddies. Everyone's like, hey, you know, I, you know, I cached this database and served up 4.7 million requests on this website. You know, my customers are going to love me. They don't care. They don't care. They, they, want a, a pro, they want their website to work. that's it. They don't care about all the cool stuff you're doing within WordPress. Um, was this a reality you learned over time? A strategy you had going into the running your agency? you knew right off the bat I'm not going to sell technology. I'm going to sell you know the solution
1: uh, no, so I used to sell the technology. Yeah. So I used to, you know, be really excited about the demo. Yeah. Um, I used to try to like always come in and be like, "Oh, you guys are going to put you in this new system, and it's awesome, and it's great," and you know, and I would spend a lot of time pitching the technology. And 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 then at the same time, though, I was really struggling as a as a as a web designer. My agency was struggling. We were always redlining. Um, you know, I was having a really hard time getting like, I mean, four or five thousand dollars was like those are big projects for me and um and so i kind of went on this quest and um my quest involved hiring a lot of consultants um i joined a program called eo um which is entrepreneur organization i talked to a lot of entrepreneurs um i paid way too much money for way too many consultants and um and then I, you know, continued to sell. And so part of that journey um, kind of led me to this this epiphany that um, you know customers aren't buying the technology, uh, the, and and especially if you want them to buy you the expert, um, and you want them to buy you the agency, then you really need to bring your value proposition to the table and stop relying so heavily on the technology's value proposition. Um, you know, I think as a web designer, we we love code, we love design, we love the new the new. Technology that's out there, you know, whatever the new widget, the new plugin, we get so attracted to that. Um, But we kind of forget who's sitting in front of us. We get about, we forget about the customer and what really is going on in their world. And so, when I started spending more time getting involved in their world and forgot a lot about what was happening in in my web design world, um, that was when my my projects started turning into ten thousand dollar projects and twenty thousand dollar projects. And then, you know, we're getting thirty thousand dollar projects, and it was like when it hit that point, I realized I wasn't talking about the technology at all, you know? Um, one of our big customers in in Denver was uh, Breckenridge Brewery. I'm not sure if you're familiar with them, but they're a Colorado craft brew company, and they're growing like crazy. And, like, I went into their um, their office, and we got, like, a tour of the brewery. They told me about their whole manufacturing process, and, you know, we're going around and learning about their uh, their barrel aging process and all this stuff. And, like, where they're currently marketing, how they're getting their customers, where they expect their brand is moving next, how they plan to grow. I mean, we spent our entire time learning about their business, and then it was kind of like, they just said, Brent, we want you to solve this problem for us, and we don't really care what you're going to use to solve that problem, and and that's where the $30,000 projects come from. They don't come from going in and telling a client that you're going to work on a a free WordPress theme, on a free open source system, um, on a... $3.99 $3.99 GoDaddy hosting account. You know, I mean, that's, that's where people have the biggest problem with building value is they, they lead with too much of that stuff and they forget to spend time with the customer and build value.
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, I, I think it'll come into play for my, for my real hardcore developer listeners out there. You know, we've been involved with large projects like TechCrunch and AOL and stuff like that. And, and maybe at that level when you're talking about scale and there, are, there is a team of people actually evaluating technical side of it. Will this product scale to X number of visits a month or whatever? Um, you know, then you can bring in the technology. But for a client like that, a brewery, we're going to be getting paid some serious bucks, um, especially as a growing agency. They don't care. They, they just want that solution that works. Um, and you're right. We get caught. We get so caught up in the cool, hey, check out this dashboard of WordPress. It's great. You can create content. You can upload photos. You can do plugins. No one cares. Um, and Funny, uh, I asked my guests at the end of every episode, you know, what book do they recommend? And all my guests have been recommending the E-Myth book, and I never read it. And I was just like, oh, it's just, another, it's just like another online book. I, I don't really care to, to read this. And then I started reading it, and like the very first chapter is about how you as the worker, uh, you know, you love this stuff, right? You love this technology stuff, and then you try to just work in your business. No, 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 take a step back look at the big picture look at the solution that you're providing so it's great it's great stuff
1: well and and you'll always have those people that are very interested in the technology or maybe you're attracting people because you're an expert in in this specific technology And i think there's i mean that's a certain level uh, it gives you a certain level of credibility in a deal and obviously there's going to be a time and a place in a project where you do have to deep dive in the technology and i'm not saying by any means that you shouldn't be an expert Um, it's just where that expertise gets kind of drooled on a project. Um, and it's usually not in, in the first part of it. It's not when you're trying to build value for what you do. Um, you know, it's there's, there's kind of a time and a place for it. I think if I give you kind of the restaurant analogy, you know, I mean, I think we don't really care what the chef did, you know, behind the curtain, right? We don't care what ingredients they use or that kind of stuff. I mean, maybe there are some customers that do, but for the most people out there, you just care what it tastes like, you know, you care what it smells like, you care how it's presented in front of you and, and how it actually got to that point, um, you're not super interested. And there's there's definitely a lot of dishes, I mean like, you know, foie gras or other stuff where it's like you don't really want to know the details of how it was made. But right you know you're you're more interested in the experience it gives you, and I think that um, it, that applies to our business really well. you know yeah. you're the chef you don't come out and just you know explain to your customer what all of your ingredients are and exactly how you're going to make it. you know they're more interested in the experience and in what it tastes like than they are in you know every single detail about what's in it.
0: Um, you just said an interesting word there uh, the experience and I, I think a lot of folks in our field aren't thinking about the experience that the customer is. Experiencing when they're dealing with uh, freelancers or an agency? Um, what's the process like? What's it like when they, t- they finally say yes and they take on my project? How do they communicate with me? How well do they communicate? What updates are they giving me along the way because I'm not a tech-savvy person? You know, this is the customer talking. Um, did you ever focus on the experience of uh, the customer's interaction with you once you started finding a different voice instead of selling technology did you kind of make it an experience did you shift gears in that in that perspective
1: Uh, absolutely I mean I think um, you know I would spend a lot more of my time uh, especially because I my focus was You know the business development and sales side of our of our agency. I spent a lot more of my time thinking about what that experience was like. You know what every single interaction actually was, how long I was spending with the customer, what we were talking about, what our agenda was supposed to be for that interaction, and in spending more time thinking about how to make those interactions really really interesting and engaging um, versus you know coming into them with some huge cool technology demo. I mean, I just I never demoed the technology or at least for the most part I kind of stopped Um, and I spent a lot more time thinking about how I was going to connect and form a real lasting relationship with this person. Um, One of our products that we're launching very soon on YouGurus is called the Web Design Sales Kit Um, and basically it outlines my interaction model of how I would take, you know, I'd have nine interactions with a potential customer before I would ever sign a deal with them Um, and basically outlines what I would do on every single one of those interactions and how I would kind of scaffold those meetings, initially spending maybe five or ten minutes with a customer and by the end of the nine interactions, spending two hours with the customer. And every single one of those meetings is customer oriented. Um, None of them that I outline actually ever has you talking about like what you're going to do for the customer. It's all about figuring out who their customer avatar is, who their value proposition is, analyzing their market and competition, you know, figuring out who in their market is doing things well and how they could potentially position themselves to overtake them in the online space. So I spend all my time thinking about their business and really their customer versus thinking about, you know, what the heck's going on in my agency.
0: Yeah. Um, that's awesome. are those Were those first four or five that you mentioned, are those part of the nine?
1: Um, Yeah, I mean, well, the first couple, I mean, one of the things that is always interesting is is my second meeting that I always have with a prospective customer is always qualifying them for my business. Um, And I think that's something that a lot of web companies don't do enough of. They just kind of like whoever knocks on their door, they just want the business so bad and they forget to say, do I really want to work with this customer? And then like somewhere halfway through a project, they wake up and they're like, man I can't stand this person I hate their business and they're so mean to me you know like and so that's kind of what our first couple interactions are is is, you know getting to qualify them, making sure that they're somebody that your value proposition is going to fit really well with and that they're your ideal customer. And then we get into discovery. And discovery is usually around four meetings for me um, before we ever present a proposal. So a lot of guys like to have an hour-long conference call and then you know present some proposal to somebody, um, and, and I push that all the way to the end. So I usually don't present a proposal to somebody until I've had a lot of interactions and I feel pretty comfortable that I want to move forward with them.
0: Uh So, this is what it sounds like from the outside. It sounds like you're going you 're about to spend ten to twelve hours worth of work without getting paid. Um, how do you answer it, that <laughs> <laughs> well, you
1: know so it 's kind of funny so what that that could be possible for sure and i mean if you 're going to sell a twenty thousand dollar deal um you can probably be pretty assured that that might that might happen um but something that you can actually do because this process that i outline is you do deliver so much value is a lot of times i would charge for my sales time so like when we would get past the second interaction and basically i realized that there are a good potential fit for my business i'd say hey look i've got this discovery process we're going to deep dive in your business um, it's going to take about 10 hours and i'm going to charge you a thousand bucks for it so um you get them to commit to a smaller um a smaller mini project. You're going to spend a lot of time with them, consulting with them, kind of consultative selling. Um, and then at the end of it, you're going to give them a really good scope of work that outlines um, their project, their audience, their drivers, their key pains, the problems they're solving, a customer avatar. So you can charge for it. I mean, I didn't used to charge for it, but once I got really, really good for, at it, um, I actually did turn that into part of our, our agency's services.
0: That's awesome. Uh, the, the other thing that's so important but so difficult is picking the right business to work with, picking the right client to work with, um, you know, especially one that's profitable um, and not like, you know, it, it, when I when I say profitable, I don't mean that. Hey, this company's making millions upon millions. It's, it's Apple, you know, the, the profit margins are ridiculous. But somebody who is doing well, they're not, um, you know, they're not doing this, They're struggling on, on cash flow, and and you kind of have to identify that because. In our field, it's like sometimes 30, 60, 90, 120 days a year worth of work. You are now embarking on this hand-to-hand journey uh, with somebody that, you know, in six months you're saying, okay, you owe me, you know, X X amount of dollars now into the project. Um, Any advice to those folks who are, you know, finally hitting the $20,000, $30,000 clients and and how to set up payment structure, Uh, you know, any any tips on that?
1: Um, so, I mean, as far as payment structure in general, I think, um, you know, it depends. I mean, if you're working kind of time and materials based where you're just getting paid by the hour and you're billing a client, whether it's through a retainer or whatever, I mean, there, there's that model. Um, or you're doing more fixed price projects. And at least in my experience, most web projects are... Um, Clients like the fixed price approach. They like to see a scope of work with a very specific dollar amount um, versus just kind of having the open-ended retainer. Um, over the years, we had tried open-ended retainers a lot. It works really well with ongoing support agreements, but for upfront projects, you know, usually it's um, it's the the fixed price project. Um, and I moved to a model where we always did 50% upfront, and then 25% at a bid midpoint milestone, and then 25% upon completion. Um, and that came out of we used to do 50-50. And, like, sometimes projects would go, you know, initial estimation of schedule would be three months, and it would turn out to be five or six months, whether it's contents being delayed or whatever the issue is. And then, you know, you're kind of saving your whole your whole profit for the end of the project, not just profit, but really some of your overhead costs and stuff like that. And so to alleviate that cash flow crunch, um, you know, I would just kind of create this mid-project milestone of, of another 25%. So, you know, trying to keep projects obviously on schedule is a huge part about, you know, your cash flow situation remaining sane. Um, but sometimes if you, you change your billing relationship a little bit, it can alleviate that.
0: Yeah. Uh, I, I, that's the kind of conversation I, I enjoy having with folks uh, like like you and I, because that's the that's the world that I live is you know running the business and running uh, project management and then it's managing the cash flow and, and relaying to the customer or to the client. Here's here's the reality of our business. You know, you're a brewery, so you know, I don't know. You're, you're building product, you're shipping it out, people are buying it, uh, and you've got this constant wheel going. With us, it's just time. It's all we have (laughs) as our resource and uh, the overhead of, you know, staff and, and, you know, rent and all that stuff, utilities. Um, And our profit comes at the end of the project. So the more you forget to review content, the more you forget to review wireframes, the more you're pushing out my business, um, you know. But then it's the client always wants that quick, hey, you know, can you fix this tomorrow, kind of thing? Um, yeah. Well, well, don't forget about us because you know we're we're still waiting to get paid from you. <laughs> you know that kind of thing. <laughs> and, uh, and
1: there's a couple things I'll, I'll, I want to say on that. Yep. One is is um, you know getting paid on time. Uh, one of the big things is setting expectations. So uh, a really kind of Bad thing I used to do was was set bad expectations, or rather, that's usually not setting any expectations. Um, you just kind of like you're so excited to get that initial check that you just forget to have the conversation with your customer around how billing works moving forward. Um, you know when you expect to get paid, how you get how you expect to get paid. Um, you know what your policy is around people when they don't pay you Um, you know like having that conversation before you ever sign on the dotted line is hugely important to say look you know I don't I'm not a collections company Um, I'm not you know hugely wealthy I don't have just like stacks of cash sitting in the bank. You know, I've got to pay my developers. I've got to pay my designers. I've got to keep my lights on. And um, when I deliver an invoice, I expect that to be paid, you know, on time. If, you know, if you're, if you have a problem with something in that invoice, I expect to hear from you within 24 hours. Um, Otherwise, you know, I, I expect the check to be in the mail. I don't expect net 30. I don't expect net 45 or net 90 or whatever. You know, I expect you guys to send me a check as soon as, invoice Um, so setting those expectations I think really early on in the process and having a very serious conversation because the time to not have that conversation is when your customer thinks that you're okay with net 30 and it's been 45 days right then at that point there's like emotion in the situation so you want to have that conversation before you ever even get a project and that's just part of setting really good expectations
0: do you have a a war story you can share about something like that that's without naming names <laughs> without uh, I might want to name names so no, um
1: <laughs> I, you know i some of the some of the problems that we've had is when um you know there's there's a deliverable and we believe we've delivered on something, and in the customer's mind they haven't um they don't believe we've delivered on that, and so what they did is uh you know they they take the invoice and they just put it on their shelf and they don't talk to us about it, right? And so then we kind of wait for the check. We have an expectation that a check's going to be arriving any day now. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, we have some bills that start stacking up and are, you know, we're thinking that we're going to get this check any day now. And then finally, we don't ever have the conversation with a customer until it's net 30 or net 45. And it turns out they had an issue with, part of our project deliverable and they didn't view it as done yet, instead of bringing that up with us, they just didn't pay their invoice. Um, And then all of a sudden, you know, we can't pay our bills and it it becomes a very emotional situation. Um, I probably have too many of those stories. Um, The other thing that I think has happened to me that is, um, you know, difficult is when you're working with larger customers. Um, If you're working with somebody that is a major Fortune 500 or Fortune 1000 company uh, and they have an expectation that they always pay net 30 or net 90 or whatever. And, um, you know, those are people that you you definitely need to set ground rules to say, look, I'm the little guy, you're the big guy. And even though you guys always pay net 90, um, I can't work like that. And try to get them to bend their rules for you. Um, I didn't used to do that. But ever since I started asking companies like that to kind of bend their rules and reduce their um, billing profile, then usually they would go ahead and say, okay, well, we can't do you know, do upon receipt, but we could do net 45. Uh, right. And that can also be a, a good tip.
0: Yeah. That's uh, one, of the, one of the things I've talked about in the past is exactly that. You know, bigger clients are great. It's a bigger paycheck. It's another zero at the end of that paycheck, but it's bringing along some of the same problems as the local mom and pop who just can't make, make the payment because they just don't have the money um whereas a big fortune company is going to pay you in 90 days because it's just the red tape and the way it works by the time that invoice gets to floor number 23 it's already you know month you know 9 or month 3 and they're just putting the bill out uh, to pay or sending the check out to pay you um
1: and, and I don't know if you're aware of this, but actually most, most business schools uh, for the MBAs out there are taught to uh, take as long as they possibly can to pay their invoices. So, you know, business schools are teaching people to go into corporate to take 90 days to pay your invoices because they want to keep their cash as long as they possibly can. So you're also fighting against that. So it's mm-hmm. – it's, um, You know, they do create bureaucracy, but they also have, like, their standard operating procedure that they're taught in school is to not pay on invoices. And that can
0: affect the freelancer in a big way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, The other thing is setting that expectation so that they don't just, you know, the smaller company just doesn't shelf the invoice and say, well, I'm not really too happy, but I'm not going to have this conversation with them right now um, because, you know, we don't really know where to begin. So we're just not going to pay this because we don't see this as completed. Look, I mean... There's 150 channels I don't watch on Comcast, but I don't just say, "Hey, I'm not happy this month. I'm not going to pay my Comcast bill. <laughs> see what happens." You know, I really didn't like what was on, you know, HBO four Spanish channel. You know, it didn't matter. Um, so yeah, setting that expectation and making sure that we're all on the same page, definitely, definitely. Um, words, uh, WordPress specific. Uh, is there anything that you see? I know you're trying to get away from technology now. Um, is there anything shining that you see in WordPress that you think they could do uh, a little bit better or have been doing really well in the last year or so?
1: Um, I think you know for, for a lot of web companies I mean the um, I, I think one of the, one of the problems I still see with you know a lot of WordPress implementations out there is um, the the, the the constant updating, the overhead that exists if you have a lot of WordPress sites for an agency. And, and I've seen some kind of cloud-based solutions and, and kind of some, some update um, type of methods that you can use, but I still haven't seen like the silver bullet for, um, you know, you've got, I mean, in our agency, we had, I don't know, let's say like 300 sites that we constantly managed. Um, and the overhead for that is, um, it's a lot ongoing as an agency, you know, and I think when you when you compare that against some other SaaS-based solutions out there, some of the um, you know the Shopify's and the um, big commerces and, and those types of applications is you know. They get the benefit of you. Know, you have no overhead when it comes to technology. You know, you don't have to worry about the hosting solution and all that kind of stuff. And so, I think for the for the agency, for the bigger customers, um, that's still a problem. You still hear a lot of uh, customers complaining that their site got hacked and all that kind of stuff. And they you know whoever built their website kind of went on a hiatus and just didn't do the security updates, updates and the patches. And so, I think that that is still a big problem in the open source space. Um, I'm still looking for the silver bullet for that. Um, you know, I'm not sure if if you have more experience with that, but in my experience I've seen a lot of customers get burned in that space, and, and I'd love to see you know something a little bit more unified from the community on how to solve that problem um, so that, that's kind of one of my, my big you know issues with it, but at the same time, you know the platform has evolved so quickly and it's, it's, it's doing some really amazing stuff um, when it comes to content distribution so I think you know there's, there's kind of a trade-off there
0: yeah. but um, yeah no you're absolutely right. Um, what's next for you gurus? I see that you do a lot of video, uh, you're doing a lot of web shows helping folks uh, in the web professional space. Uh, what do you have going on next?
1: Yeah, so um, I mentioned it a little bit but our, our first product is launching, um, it's a web design sales kit. Uh, it's basically you know my 14 years of selling web professionally, all of my experience um, well I should say it's it's my later career experience that I'm teaching um, I'm not teaching the early stuff right the, the all of the mistakes that I made the trials and the errors that I um, kind of went through I'm not really teaching that I'm teaching my my uh, my process that I was really, you know, that was really fine-tuned and I was, I was selling a lot of deals. So I'm, I'm teaching that over, um, I don't know, it's probably a six or seven hour course along with a ton of other resources that um, I use, like pricing calculators, proposal templates, um, presentation tools that I use to help build value, customer avatar worksheets and all that kind of stuff. So everything that I used in that 10 hours of sales process were basically going to, you know. Provide as a product, so somebody can come in and and swipe their credit card and and purchase that. So that's gonna be our first, our first product, Um, and then we've got about 15 other areas of a web practice that we're gonna be looking at over the next uh, 12 months. Um, So I'm not quite ready to talk about any of that stuff yet, but uh, the sales kit's gonna be the first thing that comes out, Um, and of course we're actually also, um, you know, always gonna be be doing a lot of blogging, a lot of video blogging. Open to questions from the community. Um, I've got a QA Thursday video that we've been putting together, and that's all based on customer inquiries and feedback that we get. Um, and then we basically answer a question every week and, and put some, some work into providing some good insight on that.
0: That's awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, the level of quality uh, that you're that you're doing with video looks great. Um, obviously, your setup looks great now. Are, are you renting out a st- you have a studio space set up? Um, how does that work? How does it look at the office?
1: <laughs> Yeah, so we actually converted, um, we're still in the same space we were uh, with our web agency. So we actually have been able to keep a good deal of our team from our agency business for, for what we're doing now. And so we actually converted our, our conference room area where we used to meet with clients, basically converted that into a video studio. So, you know, now we're not doing a whole lot of meeting one-on-one with, with people. Um, and if they, if they are, um, if we are meeting with them, there are other web professionals and we're probably interviewing them anyway. So we basically converted half our office into a studio. So it's pretty cool. That's
0: tremendous. That's awesome. Very, very good. So that ends the formal interview. So we'll jump into uh, some of the last two segments of the show, the What's in Your Toolbox segment. What piece of software um, or hardware do you use to run your business uh, on a day-to-day basis, like an Evernote, Gmail, an iPad? Uh, what do you have? Do I, do I have to pick one? No, I feel like be, we... <laughs> if, you, if you got a bunch of them, throw them all together because that's awesome. We've got
1: like software soup here. Um, we actually we use, uh, are you familiar with Podio? I've heard of it. All right, so Podio is our our project management suite, basically. We used Basecamp for years. I love the the 37 Signals products and stuff like that, but Podio is pretty nifty because it's highly customizable. So we can basically create our own kind of databases within uh, Podio. Um, So we manage all of our content publishing and our contributor network um, through Podio. We manage um, basically all of our operations in Podio. And then other than that, it's you know Google Apps to manage all of our communications and documents and stuff like that. Um, Evernote for for all of our note taking stuff. Um, Dropbox. We obviously move a lot of video around, so Dropbox is our solution to kind of keep all of our video stuff uh, synced up. Um, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to see what else is on my my task bar. Um, and then uh, I actually use Trello to manage my, my personal task lists and stuff like that. So I'm not sure if you're familiar. Uh, Ryan Carson has published a lot about how he uses uh, Trello to manage Treehouse. And so I've, I've been using that same methodology. Uh, and it's pretty, pretty cool and, and uh, definitely very useful.
0: Yeah, I actually started using uh, Trello internally um, because you know, we've used Basecamp for years. And, of course, there's a new Basecamp. I just find that the clients still don't use it. Um, you know they log in for that first time, and it's just like you said. It's instead of selling, um, you know, the solution. We we used to have to have like training classes, and then they're like, "Boy, what is this Basecamp all about?" And then they're confusing Basecamp dashboard with WordPress dashboard. Forget it. Just <laughs> to email, we'll use it internally. Um, you know, even even some of the more savvy ones, they they would use it, they would post to it, but they wouldn't look at the calendar, or the to do list. I mean, they, they they're they're busy running their business.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, a couple a couple quick um, tips on that, you know, for getting clients to adopt the project management software, which I think is, um, you kind of have to get them to use something, right? Because sometimes managing a project over email, if you have like 10 or 12 people that are in a project, it becomes a little bit too um, overwhelming. So, you know, doing some upfront training with them on Basecamp, um, having them primarily use Basecamp in their email box. So you use Basecamp, but you let them leverage the email functionality where they're replying to notes and stuff like that um, to keep stuff organized. And the other one is to have a weekly standing meeting with your customer where you basically every week you sit down with them for an hour and it's always the same time, same place and you have Basecamp in front of them. So even though they're primarily using email, you still show them the project management suite on a weekly basis so they know that, hey, look, if I ever was wondering what's going on with my project, I could log in and see this thing that they're showing me. Um, but knowing that they're probably only going to use email is, is always a, a good rule of thumb.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, let's jump into the lightning round. Ask you a series of quick questions, and you'll have a series of quick answers. The one plugin you cannot live without might not have an answer for this one.
1: <coughs> um, you know, there's a guy that um, you know. I, I'm just going to say the most recent plugin that I was using. Uh, this guy is called. Created a plugin called WP Preset that's actually allowed us to save a little bit of time in creating new uh, WordPress implementations. They're 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 super new, um, but basically, what their plugin does is it allows you to preload all of your settings that you have from a WordPress.org implementation in about one click. So it saves about 200 clicks on the install. Um, these guys are, are are super new; they're just getting their product off the ground. But um, I had a chance to use it, and it's it's pretty nifty. Just because if you're trying to create a lot of websites quickly. Um, it can save a huge amount of time on your projects.
0: Nice. Very nice. Uh, a favorite WordPress or business book?
1: Oh, man. I mean, I, I kind of... I've got tons of, of business books that I could recommend. Um, the most recent one that I'm actually reading, though, is the the book by the Google guys, uh, The New Digital Age. Um, and it's been totally enthralling so i think if anybody's working on the internet and has anything to do with the web i would highly recommend this book it's it's not going to be that business like teaching you tactics book but it's really really inspiring so far uh it just was released last week and um i mean it just kind of it talks about how the web is changing everything and in more than we actually know i mean it gets into the revolutions that the web has started and how you know twitter had a hand in all the um the Arab Spring stuff, I mean they get into kind of what the next level of technology is. And I think anybody that's building on the web, we get, again, so focused on this little narrow space of what our technology is doing, but we, we don't really look at the big picture of what's kind of happening in the world around us and how the web and the internet's playing a huge part in that. So I definitely recommend that. I mean, if you're, if you're at all interested in kind of expanding your mind, uh, that new digital age is definitely a good read.
0: Awesome, awesome. Uh, a quote you live or run your business by.
1: A quote that I, um, I'm gonna have to go with uh, Woody Allen on that one. Um, 80% of life is showing up. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think something that I've I've learned is that, uh, you know, you just you show up for the conferences, you show up for the client meetings. When things seem too big for you and you feel a little bit uncomfortable about them, you know, you just. Keep showing up. Um, if you're interested in building an app, or you're interested in pursuing a certain client, you know, show up for it. You know, seek them out on LinkedIn, or um, you know, spend two hours a night trying to work on that side project app that you're doing. Um, you know, when you have these ideas, you know, if you actually start to actually invest in them and build on them, you know. You're going to be 80% of the way there if you just do it yeah. um, and, and stop thinking so much about what's going to potentially happen as a result.
0: Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Before you send that first email, that first step out of the door, you already have your internal self saying, "No, don't do it. Don't do it. You know, you're don't be, a, you know, don't be a pansy. You know." Uh, you know, sit back and uh, just, you know, enjoy watching uh, Game of Thrones and don't really pursue your dreams. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, we're definitely, we are our own worst critics. Yep. And we have to make sure that that critic doesn't stand in front of us from yep. uh, from actually accomplishing what we want. Yep.
0: Uh, the, best business, uh, <sighs> the best business or career advice you um, ever received?
1: The best business or career advice. I think probably one of the, the, the things that I always... Um, Probably recommend, especially for for early stage uh, companies, is you know, to to kind of divide and conquer. Um, when our agency was really struggling, uh, one of the problems was that I was spending a lot of my time doing sales. I was doing project management. I was doing support. Um, I was doing you know design and and one of my mentors was like, you need to use some of the other people in your company or your subcontractor network to start taking on some of these roles if you ever plan to grow. You know, if you're doing everything and you're not delegating stuff out, you know, you're know, you never going to be able to grow a really successful business. And, and that's really what I wanted to do. I wanted to build a company. Um, and so he kind of, convince me to start dividing and conquering. Find people that are really great at what they do and then spend more time doing what I'm really good at um, versus trying to do everything and have control of everything. And I think that was probably the biggest pivot in our, in our career history where like that year alone we ended up doubling our revenue and the following year we doubled our revenue and it was like I started spending more and more of my time selling which is what I was really good at and less of my time kind of in the weeds and stuff like that so if you have the ability to kind of divide and conquer um, and really figure out what you're good at then you know you, you've got much better chance of, of growing something successful
0: yeah I agree, I absolutely agree uh, the longest a client project has taken <laughs>
1: Oh man, that would be uh, still an open project. Wow. Um, started it in, I believe, two thousand and seven. No, maybe maybe two thousand and eight. Yeah, two thousand and eight. Um, it was for. Uh, a, I don't don't, I don't want to say the client, but um, it's still an open project. It's a Denver business. Um, luckily, the client actually paid us 100% up front uh, and the, the, they just could never get their content together. Um, and it, it was just like, it's so tragic. Like the opportunity cost of them not having their online store um, online has just been like, I mean, they've lost like millions of dollars, but they just couldn't get their, their inventory together. Um, you know, we would, Constantly, like, I would even volunteer volunteer to come down to their business and, like, do the the content entry themselves because I was just, like, so depressed that this thing just kept going on. And the business owner, like, you know, she just could never, like, figure out how to, like, either trust us or delegate a task. I mean, she could never just figure out how to, to bring her business online. Um, and, you know, it's it's one of those that I've kind of just... Shoveled it under the rug as being abandoned, but uh, it's pretty tragic. So I have to say, my, my longest ongoing project, the clock is still ticking. Wow, um,
0: <laughs> five years, like five years and going right now. That's that definitely takes the cake. The longest standing uh, before you was two years. So oh, yeah.
1: two years. I've we we've got definitely a couple projects yeah. that definitely went two years but but the the five years and still counting is is definitely the one that's um doesn't keep me up at night anymore but uh about every month or so i usually send an email and i'm like hey i'm still here yeah,
0: you just got like an auto responder going out <laughs> all, every month that's awesome <laughs> I mean, totally crush that one uh, if you had to switch to another cms what would it be or in your case what's your favorite cms that you've worked with so far
1: <sighs> favorite cms that i've worked with um you know, it's interesting. I think. I mean, obviously, there's 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 the big players out there, but I'm I'm always interested in kind of you know some of the the newer stuff, the 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 smaller stuff that's out there. Um, you know, I know it's not a very huge CMS, but um, I've spent a little bit of time uh creating uh, or growing a Tumblr audience, and so um, Tumblr is actually a very interesting because it's so simple right it's like it's a very simple just like blogging platform and it has a lot of different ways to publish content both on like email and apps and like all this other stuff and they're like they're growing insanely fast and for how simple of a content management system it is i mean obviously if you're building website projects for customers like you're going to have a hard time leveraging Tumblr. But I think some of the functionality that they have built in has has definitely intrigued me um, just because they make it so easy uh, to to publish content on an ongoing basis. And they almost kind of have decluttered it. They don't give you a lot of power. And, and that helps people stay focused on, on the content. Um, but I think, you know, other than that... Um, you know, I think some of the other the e-commerce storefronts that are out there. I mean, Shopify is killing it these days. Uh, Big Commerce is, is killing it these days. Um, I'm interested to see kind of how the SaaS proprietary and the open source um, systems kind of battle it out. I mean, I don't know if it's really a battle. It's really different types of technology for different things. But it'll it'll be interesting to see which of those kind of um, you know if if one overtakes the other. And, and that's been a, f- a fascinating conflict for the life of my agency career
0: yeah i agree um who should i interview next
1: who should you interview next um you know, I uh, I just had a fascinating interview actually with uh, Andrew Wilkinson of Meta Lab. I'm not sure if you're familiar with them. They do a lot of work for like TED and Google and some of the big names. And it was it was truly fascinating. Um, you know, I'm not sure if he he's taken a lot of interviews, but I somehow luckily got an mm-hmm. interview with him, and he was like super fascinating just about his uh, thoughts on design and how he built his company, basically out of his basement. Now they're a 50 person like super company. that are doing amazing design stuff for a lot of people. So uh, you know. Andrew Wilkinson's is definitely a, a good, good possibility if if you can.
0: Tremendous. Uh, what's the one question that I didn't ask you that I should have? The, uh,
1: I don't know, man. You, you've covered you've covered a lot. I think um,
0: I got them all. <laughs> you got them all. I, yeah.
1: <laughs> I'm trying to think here. Uh, I don't, I don't got anything new for you. Sorry. Nice.
0: That's all right. That's okay. I did it. I did my job. Um, all right. So that's awesome. It's been an awesome interview, Brent. You did an amazing job. You gave us so much awesome inside info to running an agency to now growing a new product. Um, folks, if you want to see more of this stuff, mattreport.com, mattreport.com slash subscribe. So you can join the mailing list and you can find all these awesome interviews when they come out. Brent, where can people find you on the web and where can they say thanks?
1: Uh, absolutely. So our website, yougurus.com, that's the letter U and then gurus.com. You can of course check us out there. we got some really cool blog posts and content um, kind of furthering the conversation we've been having here. And then you can always follow me on Twitter and that's at Brent Weaver on Twitter.
0: Awesome. Thanks Brent. Thanks for doing the interview.
1: Absolutely, Matt. My pleasure.